Welcome to our mini-series, Stories. In this episode, we listen to Rocco's story, a story which reminds us of the importance of self-advocacy. He needs no further introduction. After all, it's his story. Hi there, my name's Rocco, and if you're hearing this, I bet you can guess the topic of my submission. I'm uh, L and M have been wonderful enough to ask for submissions on what it's like or comments on living with something called stiff person syndrome, a one in a million autoimmune disorder um, that's pretty hard to diagnose and um, quite a bit to live with. Um, I didn't quite know what to say, but I did write a rather lengthy post on this website called Cura, and it was really well received. And um, I thought that that might be my best way of adding value to anything um, that I could with LNM's podcast. Um, so the question is, uh, what is a doctor's weirdest case of a patient accurately self-diagnosing? And my answer to this um, is here. I'm going to read it to you. I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm the patient. But I thought this answer might qualify. In 1997, I experienced muscle spasms worse than I ever thought were possible in my legs. Totally and completely disabling. I was 15 years old, and it was the summer. I was in karate classes nightly, and also because of an upcoming high school football season, the coaches the coaches had the team doing what's called double practices, um, where we had two practices a day. One of the experiences became bad enough. My grandparents, who I was living with, had to drive me to the emergency room where they had to inject me with some diazepam. This is the point in my life where I started hearing things like, you need to eat more bananas. Your potassium is low. I continued on. I saw other athletes getting cramps, and I seemed like they were handling them so much better than I was. They could even lay on the ground and have a trainer stretch them up. So I figured I was just being a baby and had to toughen up. One year later was the first time I, quote-unquote, threw my back out. I didn't bother going to a doctor. It seemed like this had happened to others, and I just needed to wait a few days, which I did. And things loosened up, and I was okay. In 2001, I switched from karate to boxing. It was at 18 years old. For a few years, I heard a lot. But being in a boxing gym daily for hours makes that happen to everyone. So why would my pain be any different? Everyone hurts in a boxing gym. There was no reason to think that my pain was worse or different than anyone else's. Six years later, in 2007, at the age of 25, I got a muscle cramp and my lower back so bad and so violently sprung me backwards across the room. I was on the ground screaming in pain as if I was just shot in the lower back with a shotgun. At the emergency room, there was so much gel from my lumbar discs rupturing that they couldn't exactly see what kind of damage was done or why. One of the orthopedic doctors I consulted with, while looking at my images, just asked me, how bad was the car accident you were in? That's what I'm assuming caused this much damage. My response to him was that I just got a muscle cramp back there, and all of a sudden didn't seem like that was an acceptable thing 
and he acted as if I was lying to him. For what reason I would lie, I still have no idea. I had surgery at four levels of disectomy and laminectomies. They wanted to do a fusion surgery, but they said to me in these words, if you say, if what you say is true, and this much damage was just done randomly to your back by a sudden muscle spasm, a fusion fusion surgery is impossible. The spasms would rip out the fusion contact points if I had another one and make the damage far worse than it already is. This is where I really started to try and find an answer to why I was having so many cramps, muscle pain, and seemingly impossible damage being done for no reason. I was put on opiates for almost a decade and told to do more yoga and take more muscle relaxers. Over this whole period of time, I constantly searched, read and did everything I could to find out what was happening. Being told to eat more bananas and do more yoga was not the correct answer. It seemed I was now just tossed to the side as a chronic pain patient, seeing psychiatrists, getting epidurals, physical therapy, etc. Life became harder and harder. My entire life was focused around getting through a workday. By this time, I was an underwriter for a bank, and so the physical activity was minimal, to say the least. Yet I did everything possible in order to get through the next day. I spent every weekend of my late 20s at home, resting because I didn't know how I would get through another week of work and everything that that entailed. By 2011, I had done enough research to have a couple really solid ideas about what was happening to me. Unfortunately, all of them were really rare and seemingly unlikely per my PCP. I had two suspects in my head, something called dystonia or something called stiff man syndrome. It's been since changed to stiff person syndrome because it affects both genders and actually affects women more than men. But my ideas were shot down. However, they gave me a medicine called gabapentin. My PCP said, just on the off chance that you're right, here's a prescription for gabapentin. If it works, you are somehow right, but I don't suspect it will. He was right. The medication didn't work. The only medication that minimally worked was diazepam, also known as Valium. So he added the diazepam, printed out my medical records, and gave them to me and said, see anyone you'd like, I'm at a loss as to what I can do for you. Up to this point, as I mentioned before, I was on opiates, lots of them. As you grow a tolerance to them over the years, at some point, opiates became vilified, and I was forced to have supervised drug screenings every 28 days. The only person in the office to supervise was a female receptionist. I hated it. I had to have urination problems for years, but somehow, when having a hard time, it must have been because I had other drugs in my system. It was like I was trying to hide something. My PCP threatened to catheterize me for urine before my script would be refilled because I couldn't urinate. Earth be told, it was for two reasons. One is urinate, tramps cause urination issues to begin with. And secondly, I was being supervised. I finally decided that the opiates weren't working and were more trouble than they were worth and put by myself cold turkey. It sucks if you go back far enough in my profile. I actually wrote a bunch of answers about what it was like while I was going through the withdrawals in real time. I ended up divorced, filed for bankruptcy, and lost both the home I was living in and my investment properties. I could no longer work, and SSDI refused disability insurance, 
for a 30-year-old without a real diagnosis other than back pain and spasm. I had to move home to my parents at 30, broke after being married and doing well financially with no idea how my future would look and unable to figure out what was wrong with me. Was I being a wimp? Should I kill myself? Can I find an answer and see if I can put my life back together? Well, I was living with my folks. I met a girl, as the old cliche goes. At this point in time, I'd even stopped seeing doctors and had gone to just being miserable and non-functional. The girl was my was friends with my sisters, all in college and staying at home as well. Her name was Asia, and we had good conversations. We started dating, and she immediately wanted to know what I wanted for my future. She knew what she wanted and wasn't interested in spending too much time in a relationship that wouldn't go anywhere. She was interested in having a child in the next few years. She was 28, and I was 33, had already been married for a decade with not even given a thought to having a child because my previous wife wasn't interested. I shared with Asia that although I would love a child, I didn't understand how I might even make it to age 50 before I had killed myself. We were together about a year at this point, and so she understood this statement to mean it was because I was in pain, not because of depression, although anyone in that position would be depressed a bit as well. It was a tough conversation to have. We both cried, and at the end of the conversation, she convinced me I needed to try again and need to find the right doctor and find the problem. Three years ago, in 2020, at my first appointment with a new neurologist, he seemed young, hardly older than me, and I was worried at first. Then my first appointment, he says to me, Rocco, my mentor did clinical trials on this thing called cramp fasciculation syndrome. I think you have this, and we can see through an EMG. He set up the appointment, caused some cramping and pain, and said, yep, this is what I think you have. He started me on anti-epileptics and anti-seizures, and they worked miracles at first. I'd never felt relief like that since maybe before I was even 18 years old. And at this time, I was 37. This seemed to have confirmed his diagnosis. It's a rare disease, but how many people affected by it are unknown. It could be as rare as 200,000, while stiff person syndrome was closer in the one in one million range. So cramp fasciculation syndrome was diagnosed. After a few months, though, the drugs seemed to become less effective. Blood work would be done, and it would show the levels of drugs, and my bloodstreams were under therapeutic levels again, and so the drugs would be increased. The symptoms would miraculously lessen. I was never out of pain, but I could deal with pain. I couldn't deal with the price of being active and causing my entire body to go into massive cramping. It's hard to describe the unfathomable. Imagine an uncontrollable Charlie horse in your calf. Everyone has had those, right? Maybe you jump up out of bed in the middle of the night. Now imagine one in both calves at the same time. Now if you can, try to imagine them in your calves, your quads, and your hamstrings at the same time. Then add in every muscle in your stomach and rib area. And from the base of your skull to your tailbone, all going into that kind of cramp at once. There is no stretching it out. Trying to stretch in one direction worsens the opposing muscles cramp. These cramps also don't get the signal to stop increasing the pull, so they can get bad enough to break vertebrae, deform elbows and wrists, and cause massive tendon damage and arthritis, all of which I currently have. The new medication 
was making all of the massive cramping go away. It was lessening my back pain and allowing me to be more active. But over the months, I had to keep increasing the drug until max dose. Then we'd start again with a new drug. I was told this might happen until we found the right one. This year, I tried the last one available to me. Same results, incredible relief for a month or so, and then immediately degrading back to where I was. And at the final increase of a drug called phenytoin, um, also known as dilantin, my neurologist listened to how the first cramps to come back are my ribs and stomach muscle cramping, called the axial area of your body. So in July of 2022, the neurologist mentioned a new blood panel at the Mayo Clinic. It was just created this year, and though he didn't expect anything at all and told me to certainly not expect anything, he could send my blood off to a test for a disease called stiff person syndrome. He laughed and said I knew of the disease and told the doctors I had it 11 years ago. They gave me the drug that was supposed to fix it, and it didn't, and it been dismissed ever since. He orders the blood work and tells me I should hear something within a week. Two weeks go by, so I shoot an email to him. He says, oh, thanks for reminding me. I wonder why they aren't back yet. I'll reach out and see. He writes a follow-up email a few hours later. Rocco, they had to rerun the tests. It'll be another week or so. I had a feeling at this point, but figured maybe if the lab screwed up my blood work or something and things weren't just being, being redone. It's probably not likely with the Mayo Clinic, but what do I know? Another 10 days go by and I reach out again. Get the same response. Hmm, I'm not sure why it's not back. Let me check on it and I'll get back to you. This time it was two days later. He mentioned they are running the tests again and to give it a few more days. So a few more days go by and I follow up again. This time my neurologist actually forwards me an email from Mayo that he got in his response. It states, the results are in, but we are waiting for a specialist to interpret before we can send the report. Just three hours later, the my chart notification on my phone rings saying I have a new test result in. I pop it open, and the only thing it reads is flagged positive. I send an email to my neurologist saying I have a bit of an anxiety attack, because from what it looks like, it says I have stiff person syndrome, and I know what that is, and I know it's not good. Please call me. To his credit, he's always really good at getting back to me, and was on the phone with me within minutes. His first words, well, your blood work is positive, and that's shocking. He went on to explain to me that I am producing an antibody called the glycine receptor alpha-1, and that antibody is strongly associated with the stiff person syndrome category diseases. I reminded him that I mentioned my PCP. I had this about 11 years ago and was blown off because of the rarity of the disease. That answers the question asked. I diagnosed myself with a disease that affects about one in a million people a little more than a decade before the doctors could. It's too bad. It could have saved me a lot of things if my statements had more credibility. But I guess from the doctor's point of view, they will probably not see a million patients in their lifetime, and thus probably not ever come into contact with somebody with this disease, let alone the patient diagnosing themselves with it. If you're still listening and interested in how it's going, the neurologist informed me that a far wider spectrum of treatments was optioned, treatment options were open for me, and that I should take the diagnosis as good news as we'll have options that we did not have before. The most up-to-date info is, is this. 
Asia and I had that child when I found out that there was some neurologist willing to work with me and that the meds seemed to be happening. As of the time of this recording, he's actually 18 months old. The symptoms have worsened momentarily. I had to come down on the phenytoin as it was affecting my blood levels negatively. This allowed my symptoms to rise. I also did a six-month stint on IVIG treatments where I had those uh, six-hour infusions four days in a row every three weeks. There was no benefit, so now I'm starting the next option, which is called Ritalin. And that's an infusion actually four days from now. Remember, I'm reading this from previous. Regardless of if I get relief, I want to be a father. I've had parents and loved ones die early on me, and I just refuse to willingly do that to my child. So though I'm in the midst of a physical struggle again, and after some honeymoon periods come to call with my drug changes or the increases, this time there's no question on if I want to continue trying. I'm going to get the name changed from stiff person syndrome to stubborn person syndrome. A last side note, stiff person syndrome has recently been in the news because Celine Dion just was diagnosed with it. She's had it for the last few years, apparently. I've been living with it undiagnosed for 25 years. I think I might be an expert on how to live with it. If she needs uh, any info, she can uh, call me directly. <laughs> the... Uh, most recent updates are is that I've had both infusions of Rituxin. Um, I'm on month three after the second infusion. I haven't had any um, results of a positive nature with the with the infusions yet either. Um, but I've heard that it can take up to six months to work, and I hope to you know I have I have positive thoughts for the future. Um, I love being. I love being a father, and it's going to completely drive me to fight through this disease, and and allow me to get through another twenty five years. Um, if you're still here listening, thanks so much for hearing my story. Um, I hope it helps one of you out there that might be starting with this and living with it. I uh, wish you the very best. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, SPS Unscripted Podcast. If you would prefer to DM us privately, then do so with the Facebook Messenger app. We're also over on Instagram, SPS Unscripted Podcast 1, all one word. A gentle reminder, we are not medical professionals. This content is reflective of personal journeys where we follow advice from our medical teams and we strongly advise that you always consult your medical professional for advice.